0: I um, introduced a new series. Uh, last month, um, Pastor Chris did a great job. And um, this, this month, I want to tie in with what occurred last month, and that is uh, the Olympics. Uh, how, how many of you, are, or were there any of you, who were enthralled by the Olympics last month? Oh, a few of you. Okay. All right. How many of you were just mildly interested? Okay, how many of you are just totally indifferent? (laughs) How many of you say Olympics? What Olympics? No clue. Well, there are only a a very few things that um, on TV that even remotely interest me. And I guess that could be a pun, right? But in fact, I can go months on end and never turn on the television. And so um, football season coming up, occasionally that might entice me, although I had to pick a team that won the Super Bowl once, and that's the only winning season they probably ever had in their history. (laughs) So if anybody gives you a a useless, worthless Buccaneers uh, (laughs) jersey, pass it on, I'll wear it. But I found myself watching TV more last month than I had probably the entire previous year. Uh, Linda, Sister Honey, my my wife, and my mom uh, decided they wanted to watch the opening ceremony of the Olympics. And so I sat with them, and and we watched it. And as the uh, commentators were talking about the competition that was upcoming, it kind of piqued my interest. And particularly, I was wondering if Michael Phelps still had enough in him to win any more gold medals. A 31-year-old old codger um, <laughs> won eight more gold medals. Uh, in fact, he en- ended up being the most decorated Olympian in history. And uh, our little claim to fame is that uh, Linda went to school with his mom, oh. Debbie. And so uh, it's kind of cool to see her going berserk on the... Uh, in the stands uh, because we didn't know her. But there is something about competing to be the best in the world in a particular uh, sporting event that does have a captivating drama to it. Each competitor has invested hours or even years, perhaps, training for the event in, in which they're participating. And so after all of that, then they must compete And it's under intense pressure, think about that, aware that the whole world is watching, knowing that the slightest mistake could result in a failure to to see the fulfillment of a lifelong dream or goal. And that they wouldn't have another chance to redeem themselves for four more years. Not only is there extreme physical exertion, and amazing performances, uh, usually um, you know, Olympic records or world records being set. There's also that incredible display of emotion uh, for either winners or losers at the end of the competition. And so I found myself fascinated by the athlete's skill and uh, their level of performance and their composure uh, during the game. Of course, one of the things that I really appreciated about the American gold medalists, some of them, uh, was their passion to share the witness for Christ and what he meant to their lives. Um, Especially in a world that typically disdains or even frowns upon those kind of declarations, including America, uh, they had the courage and the strength to glorify God for what he means to them. And uh, my prayer is that God will use their words uh, to impact someone Uh, toward Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that in Rio, as uh, other past Olympic venues, uh, there there was a great, organized, massive effort of evangelism by individuals and by groups. And uh, after all, what better strategy, if you want to reach the world, uh, than to get into a place where there are, uh, at least for a temporary time, uh, people populated in that area from all around the world. so uh, a great opportunity to share Christ uh, with others. Now, the apostle Paul evidently made use of a similar strategy uh, when he traveled to Corinth. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us in Acts 18 why Paul went to Corinth on his second missionary journey. But it's easy to understand why he would do that. Corinth was this major thoroughfare of travel by sea and by land, uh, with many people passing through. And so it was a strategic corridor for the spread of the gospel. But another reason that I believe Paul was there for those, that 18 months was the extremely popular Isthmian games that were held in Corinth every other year. Um, they, they timed it to be the year before the Olympics, the year after the Olympics. And so every other year they had these very popular games. And Paul knew that there would be numerous people in that city uh, providing a golden opportunity to reach them with the gospel. Although it wasn't quite on par with the Olympics, uh, the Isthmian, Isthmian games uh, in Corinth were very important. And they drew huge crowds of participants as well as spectators. And so Paul took advantage of that opportunity. But how would Paul, the apostle, how how would he interact with all of these people who were in Corinth during the games? How would you go about it? Would you just go out and, and rent the biggest tent that you could find and set up this huge tent out in the field nearby and have this great big tent revival? Hardly. But his solution did likely involve tents. Uh, There were were no permanent accommodations uh, at the site of the games. And so the people stayed in tents in the surrounding fields. Now, what was Paul's occupation? He was a tent maker. And so he made tents, he fixed or repaired tents, he sold tents. And uh, so along with His companions, Aquila and Priscilla, who also were tent makers, uh, they had plenty of opportunity to interact and converse as they carried out their work, sharing the gospel with people that they uh, talked with. And so, however you would envision Paul, or even our missionaries today, in, in proclaiming the gospel wherever they go, it's not by huge crusades. Generally. Now you'll see occasionally uh, these massive crusades where there are thousands upon thousands of people that are listening to a dynamic evangelist. And you might think that's how they do their work, but it isn't. The apostles and, and the missionaries share the gospel in a way that's not that much different than the way you and I are called upon to present the gospel. Jesus Himself commissioned each of us. To the task. It's really a privilege, but he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Or, in other words, as you go, make disciples. And the idea is as you go about your daily routine, your job, school, your shopping, hanging out with your friends, golfing, or whatever it is that you do for recreation. Make Christ known in those events. That was Paul's calling. That was his passion. And that's what consumed his very life. And so everything that he did was focused on that mission of reaching souls for Christ. It ought to be ours as well. Amen. Amen. I want us to read our text today from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24 through 27. And as we read it. Keep in mind that Paul is thinking of these Isthmian games in Corinth as he writes to them. And he says in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know what Paul did with the games which is kind of what Jesus did with everything else in life, was to see these games in relation to God and the Christian life. And so as he is watching these games occur, he's thinking, Man, that you know, if a Christian would put everything into their their life for Christ that his athletes put into these games, we'd have revival. And so he, his, his thoughts began to go. And so he begins to teach these Corinthians and other Christians to transpose what they saw in the Olympics and those Isthmian games into a different setting. And so what he is saying is the level at which these athletes compete, the intensity with which they train and practice, the extent of the denial of themselves and their focus on the prize and so on, Paul says, transpose that temporary struggle to that of the Christian life, a different level of reality, and uh, apply those to your spiritual life. And so Paul starts with this rhetorical question, only to get their attention it's for effect. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Well, of course they knew that. And Paul knew that they knew that. Every citizen in Corinth was very familiar with the foot races, the famous uh, foot races that were held at those games. Now, the Olympics took place in Greece, and uh, there was every four years, and without interruption, from 776 B.C. to 393 A.D., AD 393, over 1,100 years, the Olympics had gone on. And so that, coupled with the Isthmian games, every two years, Paul didn't have to explain these games to anyone. They fully understood the seriousness of these athletic games. Now, games and sports can be, at times, serious. um, Particularly soccer, international soccer. I mean, these guys in the stands, we're talking about, spectators fans they just about kill each other but now let's talk about athletics in the in the greco-roman world they were approached with great passion and drive and so in those sporting events the goal was not just to participate the goal was to win and to lose in many cases was a disgrace a stoic philosopher of the first century said in the Olympic Games, you cannot just be beaten and then depart. But first of all, you will be disgraced, not only before the people of Athens or Sparta or Nicopolis, but before the whole world. In the second place, if you withdraw without sufficient reason, you will be whipped. And this whipping comes after your training, which involves thirst and broiling heat and swallowing handfuls of sand. It's not going to be any of this. You know, Paul said saying, you know, in the Olympics, it's not going to be any of this no moss. You know, I, I quit. I give up. It's not a viable option unless you're beat half to death by your opponent. Philo, a Jewish philosopher who was a contemporary of Jesus in the early church, wrote, I know wrestlers and... Pancratius, which is a deadly martial art form, who often persevere out of love for honor and zeal for victory to the point of death, when their bodies are giving up and they keep drawing breath and struggling on spirit alone, a spirit which they have accustomed to reject fear scornfully. Among these competitors, death for the sake of an olive or celery crown, is glorious. It's interesting that the Greek word used to describe an athletic contest or a struggle is agon. A-G-O-N. Is there any word in our English language that sounds like it might come from that word? Agony. The word Paul used in verse 25 to describe the spirit of a person who competes in the games is the word agonismo. And so it carries the idea here that the goal can only be reached with the full expenditure of all our energies. A passionate struggle, a constantly renewed concentration of forces on the attainment of the goal. And so Paul charges the believer to run their spiritual race with the same seriousness and effort. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And then Paul reminds them, everyone who competes or agonizes in the games goes into strict training. Verse 25, the next verse, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. So Paul refers specifically, first off, to this foot race, which is probably one of the most famous events in the games and then to another popular event, which was boxing and or pancretia, uh, whatever you call it. It's, it's a different word for me to pronounce. Go into training. How many of you know, and I didn't see anyone at the uh, Rio Olympics. You know, Olympic medals don't go to overweight businessmen who puff around the exercise track. These are guys, you know, not an ounce of fat on most of them. Someone offered this comment, the only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions, running down their friends, sidestepping responsibility, and pushing their luck. That's not the kind of strict training that Paul is talking about. Actually, in some of the events of the games, insufficient training... Or self-discipline or self-control could easily result in one's death, particularly in pancreation and boxing. Now, pancreation, let me talk about that for a second. There's a lot of information uh, about the Olympic Games. Uh, It was an ancient form of today's mixed martial arts fighting, only without the rules and without protections afforded to today's athletes. There were no weight divisions, None. No time limits. So there were not five, three, three five minute rounds or however long, 12 three minute rounds, none of that. So, depending on the luck of the draw or the bad luck of the draw, a man of small stature could end up fighting a giant of a man. There were, there were a couple of age groups two men and boys. Then I could do things in two. There were actually two rules: no eye gouging or biting. Everything else was permitted. The refs were armed with stout rods or switches to enforce the rules. The contest continued uninterrupted until one of the combatants submitted signal by raising the index finger or was incapacitated and so Do you think anyone wants to go into competition without thorough preparation and training? And so everyone, Paul says, goes into strict training. Now that's for pancreation. Boxing was even more brutal than that in Paul's time. And it was not uncommon for a boxer to die as a result of the competition. The boxer's hands were wrapped in hard leather fongs for protecting the small bones of the, of the hand and the wrist, as well as for the purpose of inflicting more damage to the opponent. During this period of Paul's writing to the Corinthians, due to Roman influence, pieces of lead and iron and even spikes were inserted into the leather to inflict more injury upon an opponent. So again, there was no weight classes, no time limits, and so fights could last for hours. No rules except for in boxing, no gouging of the eyes with fingers, and no holding the opponent. And so if an opponent was knocked down, the boxer could pounce on him and continue to pummel him without conscience, without consequence. There was no standing eight count. And so if a competitor engaged in both boxing and uh, pancration, he would try to arrange it so he could do the pancreation first, so that when he went into into um, or actually, yeah, so so when he when he fought uh, in, in pancreation, his face wouldn't be such a bloody, disfigured mess, uh, mangled from the boxing, and so boxing was a more grueling sport. So when Paul states that everyone strictly trained, his readers understood perfectly what Paul was saying. It's obvious that if a man's going to fight. He wouldn't fight as one beating the air. If he shadow boxed a guy who was intent on putting a massive amount of hurt on him, then he would certainly lose, deservedly, big time. He wouldn't even train without contact. He would make sure that he sparred someone and landed some punches so, so that he had his body hardened and, and ready for the, to the fight. And so shadow boxing alone would not prepare a person to compete at a winning level. And then Paul says, in the same way, you don't run aimlessly. In the games, everyone competed in a stadium. And so there was a a starting point marked by a square pillar. And then the ending point, at the opposite end, uh, was the goal. Another uh, place where the judge sat and held the prize. And so the eyes of the competitors, particularly in the, the shorter race, Uh, the eyes of the competitors remain fixed on the judge and the end of the race kind of reminds us of the writer of Hebrews who says let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith so preparation to win the race required that training be intense and focused just like boxing the Christian life can be serious and brutal. Jesus never promised that if you follow him, life would be easy and free of difficulty. Life with or without Jesus goes on and it brings its share of struggles and challenges. The only difference is that with Christ, we have one who walks with us and one who encourages and empowers us to triumph. Uh, through those brutal times. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So Jesus says, follow me. Life will be tough, but your prize will be worth it all in the end. So we need to exercise exercise ourselves and train ourselves so that we can compete so as to win. No pain, no gain. Five years ago, I did the through hike of the Appalachian Trail. The, one of the mantras on the trail is no rain, no pain, no gain," And it's very true. No pain, no gain. But if you know pain, then there's great gain. Nowhere in the text does Paul instruct us as believers to just sit and soak up Sermons. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Just says put everything into the effort. That's why I love our church. I love the multitude of volunteers and workers that we have at our church. I love that. But most often, those who sit and soak also sour. As one track coach told his athletes, if you have anything left 10 yards past the finish line, you didn't give your all. Paul says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Put everything into serving God so that when the time comes for you to receive your reward or Christ comes to receive us, you have known that you put everything into the race and everything into the fight. Now here Paul draws a distinction in his analogy with the Olympic runners, uh, they, were, they were competing against each other for the prize. And there's only one prize. Uh, there was no silver or bronze. After all, how would you, how would you award that? I mean, if, if your gold medal is a wreath of celery, what would, it, what would a silver be? You know, wilted lettuce or, or you know, the bronze, me a rotten tomato or whatever else... How would you get worse than that? But Paul is saying, in the Christian experiences, it's, it's not everyone against each other. You know, when, when five men line up on a racetrack event, they know that only one's going to come in first. So that means that four men have to lose so that one can win. But in the kingdom of God, Christian runners were in the same race, but we're not in competition with each other. Now, we need to remind ourselves, there are some denominations that think, yeah, we're, we gotta, you know, we're in competition with those down the street. We're not. We're on the same team, amen? amen. So we need to stop acting like that. On the contrary, the prize is within reach of every Christian believer. We each have our own lane in which we run, and we don't compare ourselves with other runners. And yes, we're in a fight, but not against each other. Not against flesh and blood. But our fight is against the devil and the flesh and the world and so on. And we don't win when other believers lose. We win and we can all win the prize. Is the prize worth winning? Paul believed it was. Jesus believed it was. Peter believed it was. Every great man and woman in the scriptures believed it, including Abraham. And Job and Moses and Joshua. And that whole list of guys in the 11th chapter of Hebrews in the hall of faith. Now what Paul points out to the Corinthian believers is they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That crown is not salvation. Salvation is God's free gift to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ And what Christ did on the cross. And so we don't fight. We don't run to earn our salvation. That's ours by faith. But what he's talking about here is the reward. The eternal reward. The future reward for those that are dedicated followers of Christ. Who seek to honor him in their life. And I want to talk hopefully about that in another message. About the reward received at the judgment seat of Christ. So competitors in the games with which the Corinthians were so familiar gave everything of themselves to win a prize to the successful athlete, which consisted of a wreath of either wild olive or celery or laurel or parsley or pine. Paul said it was a crown that would not last. And so obviously you don't do it just for that. Olympians today compete for gold medals. The ones presented last month in Rio were valued at $601 each. Now, if the value of the gold medal was the only motivation, it sure wouldn't be worth the four years of intense training and struggle put in to win it, would it? In fact, the total value of the 46 gold medals of the U.S. won amounted to only $27,464 that's something that probably almost any athlete could earn in a year working at sheets. And so rather than doing four years of agonizing training they could have done that. So obviously the reward means more to them than the medal itself. The the recognition, the global recognition of their accomplishments, the personal satisfaction of having done their best and realizing that it was the best in the world at that moment. That's what it was all about. But you know, there's a dark side to going for the gold in the natural. After the Olympics, both winners and losers are prone to emotional crashes psychologist, it's a sports psychologist at the performance psychologist at the University of Michigan, Uh, Scott Goldman says, the athletes are just exhausted. It was such an onslaught to their system. And when it's all said and done, they're just physiologically depleted as well as psychologically. And so many of them would end up in clinical depression. So even the gold medal is a crown that won't last. But Paul says that when we run to get a crown, that will, it will be one that lasts forever. Peter says that those who are eager to serve will receive the crown of glory, which will never fade away. Well, Paul concludes, and if a man wants to come up, he speaks of the self-discipline that he engages in to stay in the running. He says, no, I beat my body. Now, literally, that means I hit myself under the eye. Now, generally, that's a knockout punch. And so literally, it's hit myself under the eye. Figuratively, it's knocking out the bodily impulses that keep me from doing what God wants me to do, which for him was winning souls. So he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Spirit-empowered self-denial. Let me ask you today. Are you a slave to your body? Does your body, the flesh, give the orders? Or do you make it your slave? I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. A disqualified believer might be put on the shelf. No longer usable by the Lord. In addition to suffering loss of eternal reward, what does faithful running look like? Who are those who run in such a way as that they might win? I believe it's followers of Christ who finish their lives still growing, still serving. I believe it's husbands and wives who stay faithful to each other until death do us part. I believe it's young people who stay sexually pure until marriage in spite of strong peer pressure. I believe it's church members who weather the rough storms of life and yet remain joyful and loving and faithful. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I'm not running very well. In fact, I'm hardly in the race at all. What do you do? You recommit. You get back into it. How I many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Eric ran his race, Olympic race, got bumped, knocked into the off the track, jumps up. And he sees them going down the track. He gets back into the race. And he says, I'm going to not only catch up to them, I'm going to win. And he did. He redoubled his efforts. And if that's you, if you're out of the race, get back in it. Recommit. Say, I'm going, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Remaining faithful to the finish is what true winning is all about. And so we're not judged but just by how we start. We're judged by how we finish. So run to win. Run to win. Go for the gold. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together today. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we thank you today for the privilege it is to serve you. I thank you for Paul's insights, Lord, on how we should conduct ourselves and the race that we find ourselves in. There are times that we get weary and get tired and, and um, we just need to remember, Lord, that that's what the Christian life is all about. We're engaged in this contest, in this, in this struggle. And God, you've promised victory to us if we will trust you and, and let you strengthen us by the power of your spirit. And we do have a crown that will never fade away that's reserved for those who faithfully serve you. Thank you for that, Father. And I pray you'll encourage us to go all the way through and be victorious and i walk with you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In a few moments, we are going to serve communion. Before we do, I want to just take a moment and, and I'd like for you just to look at your own life for a minute. And some of you might be saying, you know, Pastor, I'm not even sure that I'm in the run, that I'm in the race. I'm not even sure that I'm competing. there are certain things that every athlete had to do to compete in those games one was he had to show a birth certificate to show where he was born secondly he had to swear that he had practiced and trained at least 10 months just prior to the games and thirdly he had to affirm that he had trained according to the rules and that he would compete according to the rules. Those three things. And so, if you're not born again, if you're not a child of God, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you're not in the running. You're not even in the game yet. And so I urge you today, if you're not sure that you're ready to meet Christ, you're not sure that, you have, that you're have you a child of God by Faith through Christ and what he's done for you on the cross, then I urge you this morning to commit your life to Jesus. Get into the race. Get into the run. It's the most important thing you'll ever experience in life. And I urge you to do that today. And then train. You know, come to be in church. Uh, Try to get in connect groups. But at least daily read the word of God and spend time in prayer before him. And run according to the rules. The rules are in that that book, the word of God. Those are the rules. And so let's get into that. Father, I pray for those this morning who perhaps have never entered the race. Would you just speak to their heart right now. Help them, oh God, to acknowledge that their need is of you. And ask you, Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, taking our sin upon yourself and paying that penalty in full, which was death. Help them, oh God, to put a confidence and trust in what you did for them on the cross to bring salvation from their sin, that you'll forgive, that you'll cleanse them, that you'll remove guilt and condemnation and transform their lives to make them yours in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Help them, oh God, to confess their sin to you and to confess their faith in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can do that right now, and I hope you did as I prayed that this morning. Invite Christ into your life.